and welcome back to the Steadcast. It's great to be back with you again after a regular re-recording, a regular appearance. How good does that feel, Kieran? Oh, amazing. We're back on it. I know. Feels good. Feels good. Um, So (laughs) on the topic of feeling good, let's just jump straight into our topic today because we sort of teased it a little bit last week, uh, but it's been a developing kind of theme throughout our pods and now it's actually a developing aspect in both mine and Kieran's running life in our shoe portfolio and I've given it away there um our shoe rotation however you want to word it is we're going to be talking about super shoes but the last time we dedicated a podcast to these super shoes it was a bit of a rant it was a bit of a Kieran not being sure on them me thinking they're a good idea but me not necessarily ready to spend lots of money on them uh, and we had mixed opinions and, and the argument was good. And, and it was at a sort of point when we last discussed that not many people had them. We managed to get a hold our hands on a couple of pairs to play with whilst we were recording that podcast. But now it feels like the market has just exploded and more and more people can get these shoes. And importantly, more and more brands are now making them. We found at one point that it was really only Nike that sort of introduced these shoes and they were the people that really got the ball rolling with records and kind of began to cause the controversy. Whereas now I don't think controversy is necessarily a fair thing to discuss because pretty much everyone is making them. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. I mean, as far as controversy, you're always going to have the people who kind of take the opinion that I had to begin with. And I, I still stand by it a little bit, but... I'm going to wear them because I'm not going to put myself at a disadvantage and I would encourage others to do the same thing. But you're still going to have people saying, you know, you can't compare times being run post-2017 to times of, you know, years gone by. Um, But you know what? There's been stuff like that in the past. There's been the switch from Cinder to Tartan Tracks. There was the whole EPO era in the 90s, which we won't go into too much. And like you say, it is now a lot more of a level playing field. I don't think it is a level playing field um, exactly as we previously knew it. But going forward, it's as close to, I think, what we're going to get as a level playing field with other brands making shoes that have shown to be competitive. And in some cases, dare I say it, better than the Nike ones. The Adidas ones, the Adizero Adios Pro, that's a mouthful, try saying that four times quick. (laughs) Has, pre- has proved to be as good, possibly better, over the marathon and half-marathon distances. Um, if you look at the podiums for major marathons, and there's not a huge amount of them, over the last 12 months or so, it's pretty much been an even split between Adidas and and Nike. Um, I know that Hoka have had a pretty decent one from the off. New Balance seem to be doing well as well with their, um, what's it called, fuel cell. Fuel cell yeah. RC or TC, I think T- they both need different yeah. things. RC is racing competition, TC is training competition, something like that. Doesn't matter. Uh, and then ASICS one, which is probably at the moment looking like the next big, big hitter, big top contender, with yeah. Beth Potter running the 5K women's world record uh, on the roads on the in those. And I think Sarah Hall was wearing those for her unreal second place at london marathon um yeah she in the was. pouring rain where she beat i can't remember the name of the girl that she beat but i know that she just set the um i think it was her that just set the women's half marathon world record so you know pretty close to a level playing field now in terms of shoes as long as you've got something that's a high stack height with super light foam and some kind of carbon plate in it you know you're probably going to be doing all right you're probably going to be 
on somewhat of a level playing field. You can talk about, you know, varying responses between athletes, but that's not really what we're here for today. No. So let's introduce the idea that, you know, you've written at the top of your document that you've sent over to me and really an idea that I know you've been how's the best way to word it I know that you've had it on your mind since the release of these shoes and it's how to really integrate them into training versus racing is it one of those things that they should just be reserved for race day is it something that it's beneficial to train in and also does it have negative downsides as well because certainly from the maybe the commentary point of view or a racing point of view we're we've talked about positives a lot and most people will probably go to them as positives but is it possible that there are negatives associated with using these shoes too much so that's really the theme of today's pod that we really want to get our teeth into so my opening thoughts if i may is go ahead well yeah here we go here we go rub your hands Um, (laughs) oh yeah how long are we going to be sitting (laughs) no my 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 thing is now that i've had a bit an albeit limited experience running in them you can feel a difference i didn't know how much i personally would feel a difference because i've always been i've said this before i've been of that kind of ill i've just put on whatever cheapo pair of running shoes and i've just gone i thought how much of a difference can it possibly make because i know when i want to run quick and i know when i want to run slow but I must admit, it has been remarkable. The times where I've clipped on these super shoes, as we're going to nickname them, and and really... <laughs> well, I think that's a pretty common name for them now. I think <laughs> yeah. that's just—it's either super shoes or traditional racing flats. I think is the the two <laughs> variations that that people have gone for. Interesting, but yeah, certainly um, when I've clipped on these shoes, I can say that I've noticed a difference. N- most notably, actually, because I haven't spent too much time running in proper racing carbon fiber shoes i need to be careful how much i say but i have got the nike tempo shoes which are the ones i said last week they've got some zoom x which is nike's super light foam that you mentioned they do have a tall stack height and in place of the carbon fiber pad in it or the carbon fiber strip they've actually got the two airbags which were first seen in the alpha flies from uh, from yep. Nike and well, I think they were probably first seen in the Air Maxes from the eighties. Yeah, but, that's yeah. true. Actually, yeah. Well, the 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 running special edition version of it, the running conditioned version of it, shall we say? Yeah, um, I was going to say the the performance version. Yeah, and I must say, the first time I put those on, that was the first time that I'd ever spent proper money, more than I think sixty or seventy quid, on a pair of racing or sorry, on a pair of running shoes. I clipped those on and they've got that tall stack height and they felt bouncy and I just went out and I I couldn't believe how different they felt. Like they felt so bouncy. And mm. as a result... Well, I think different is an important thing to highlight there because they do feel so different. Like you just run differently. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. Like I said, they felt so bouncy and as a result, I kind of wanted to pay homage to them because I assume that if you've got shoes that are designed for going quick, you should attempt to run quickly in them because... That's surely where you're going to see most benefit. <laughs> I'd um, say that's a fair analysis. You know, and that's that's kind of me just doing my thing. You know, that's not me who's got access to a whole rotation of masses and masses of shoes. It's just me trying to do my best with with what I've got. And it was. It, and the thing is, I'm going to try not to say it felt better, but because it, it felt so different. And certainly, my opening thoughts, and I think we've sort of teased this on last week's pod, but we'll talk about it again. Is that they felt really bouncy, which was a surprise. Like it was a shock, actually. I was shocked at how bouncy they felt compared to my previous shoes, which have just got your sort of traditional sole with whatever rubberized foam is in there. Um, but also some, something that I 
thought was uh, and was something that you touched on last week is cornering. That was the first time I really felt whoa, that felt different. Was I was going around a really little tight at the end of my road to sort of join onto the the little five k route that I like to run. There's a really tight little turn just as a, as you sort of get to the end of the road and go round a footpath, sort of round a hedge and. I didn't almost slip over. I didn't really go off balance, but I could have felt myself that had I have gone any faster or had the road have been wet or had there been some other scenario, it would have been much, much easier to fall over and hurt myself in shoes like that than it would have been in my normal shoes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I know the corner that you're talking about. And if you'd taken that too quickly, you'd have either been on your ass or roadkill. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good job you slowed down. I was going to say I've had my own experience of being roadkill in the past, so um, so yeah, exactly. Let's not go down that route for me again. (laughs) Well, maybe we could put that into our pro. We didn't have that initially written down, but maybe that could be our pros and cons. Is uh, (laughs) in training might might get run (laughs) over. In training, there's much more. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to get run over in training on race day. You can kind of go for it a little bit, and you don't have to worry about getting run over uh, because the road should be closed, uh, or you're racing on a closed circuit, as what seems to be the the fashion. The 2020 2021 version of road racing is closed race circuits that sort of thing um what i did want to say earlier though is what we're basically going to do is we'll go through as many pros and cons as we can kind of think of uh to kind of weigh up both sides of the argument of should i be wearing super shoes in training or should i reserve them just for race day the likelihood is and the conclusion that i've kind of already drawn in my head anyway is the best answer is going to lie somewhere in the middle. Like this isn't a, I should wear them all the time or I should wear them never and only for races. I think this is, those are two points on a spectrum and you have to decide where on that spectrum you lie. I think there are going to be extreme outliers on each side and there are going to be just kind of middlers. That's like, I should wear them for my really hard sessions or specific pace sessions. If you're training for a marathon or a half or, or a five or ten, I suppose, to, to the same effect. Um, and there are going to be sessions where it's like, right, I want to know where I'm at without the aid of, you know, bouncy foam and carbon springy shoes. Definitely. And I think a really good way to actually open up this discussion is with just a bit of a straightforward question is out in the real world, not television, not YouTube, out in the real world, how often or how many people would you say you now spot wearing them now for you that's interesting because you have training things which is just out in the wild and you obviously have race day scenarios but what's your kind of general (laughs) feel now for for you know if if you see somebody going past and maybe you're like me and you sort of take a casual look at their shoes as they run past you um do, do you spot many of them out in the wild well i'm i'm probably the wrong person to ask here because i do most of my training in in and around Teddington, in Bushy Park, Richmond Park, St. Mary's University track. Like, I'm in kind of a hub for running, so I see them all the time because I'm surrounded by other runners that are of, like, either a very high club standard or elite standard of running. So maybe, but, yeah, I suppose if I'm out on a Sunday run around, you know, around the park and I'll see someone who I don't recognize and... Sometimes they'll be wearing them. I, I don't think I've seen many people wearing them that weren't trying to run fast. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah, well, that's that's a good that's a good point. Um, and, and something that I think is is an immediate consideration and probably a 
a pro, if we are going to weigh up a, a list of pros and cons, probably a pro to, to open things up with, is that you'd like to think the sort of people, most of the sort of people that take their running seriously enough that they're going to consider spending the amount of money that these shoes cost because there's not really any out there for less than, I don't know, say 150 quid, for example, or 130 quid, I think, um, is sort of like the the ballpark range for like the Nike and like New Balance and Adidas sort of range that I've seen at least. Um, yeah, I mean, it depends what you... I mean, if we're talking about all of the performance shoes that you've got out there, you've got a, a range of carbon fiber, super shoe performance shoes, You've got a range from about yeah 120 quid all the way up to your yeah, alpha flies are going to set you back what 260 250 yeah exactly and and my point i was sort of making is that surely people that are prepared to pay that much money as an investment into their running are going to understand the importance of how to use them effectively i should hope so because i mean <laughs> it'd be a pretty big waste of money to yeah, it would be a lot of money to spend on somebody, something that you didn't really know how to use and you didn't think would actually, that you weren't going to use properly, basically. Yeah, and it's interesting because then a, a kind of a counterpoint to that, and it was something I was just obviously saying to you before we hit go on this uh, on this pod, was that is there a, a section of people, and I know that there's probably a bit of a section of people that maybe they're buying gifts for somebody, or you know, oh, their other half's a runner, or their dad, or someone like that is a runner, and they go onto these websites, whether it's the Nike or Adidas, or wherever you want to buy from, and they see that top performance where it says running, and they click you know, price high to low, and they click the ones right at the top, and it says these have got carbon fiber, they'll help you run faster, and they go, do you know what? That person means so much to me that I don't, I'm going to ignore that expensive price, and I'm just going to get them those shoes, even if maybe those people aren't quite at the level to to maybe completely justify the full performance of them. So is that, do you think there's some market for maybe a degree of ignorance when people buy these just because they, they think they're the best and that they're appropriate for all occasions? Um, well, appropriate for all occasions, I think is the, <laughs> the nail that you hit on the head there. I think performance wise, I think they're going to give you some kind of performance benefit. As long as you're running the whole way in the race that you're doing, I think they're going to give you a performance benefit no matter how fast or, you know, where you fall on that spectrum. Um, but yeah, the thing, the thing is, is what if somebody's maybe receiving those and it's Joe Bloggs, who's run eight marathons and he, you know, he loves running. He loves running marathons. He does it for charity, but he runs marathons to complete marathons. He doesn't run marathons to run his fastest time. And he's then going out and doing absolutely every single run in those next percents or alpha flies or whatever that someone's bought for him it might not be such a bad thing but it also might not be such a good thing um and i suppose that transitions quite nicely into does it reduce or does it increase injury risk training in these shoes <laughs> do you know what it, um, it's such an in, it's sorry to jump in it's such an interesting topic and i and do you know what i i want to just share two points with both of which i said last week but i just want to reiterate them is that you said last week about how your feet off, often obviously get a battering during the running that you do, whereas you felt when you had these super squishy shoes on your feet as you felt reinforced and bouncy and you felt like your feet didn't take so much of a pounding. And I must admit, yep. the times where I have run in my shoes, I've had most occasions where that 
bounciness has has felt really good certainly in the like the airbag ones that feel once you sort of get going in a rhythm it does feel really really good um however something i did say is that i wore the uh react uh sorry excuse me i wore the zoom flies which have the react foam in them which is a bit stiffer and yep a bit firmer and i did a load of like off-road running and it just got to a point where it was so stiff that my legs just did they just couldn't keep up with it it just it felt uncomfortable so it's really interesting because even though so where where in your legs were you feeling quite a lot of fatigue when you when you did that run i don't think i've asked you that before no tr- well, truthfully it's sort of the best way that i can describe it like i said to you is because Obviously, people's legs are going to feel different depending on like how their heel, like how their foot strikes and things like that. Like I tend to strike too much with my heel, supposed to my mm-hmm. forefoot, for example. Um, but it sort of it almost felt like the best way I can describe it is um, is imagine if you sort of you're running with bare feet on like gravel or something like that, and eventually it just gets to a point where your foot almost feels kind of numb from just the the un the uneven surface. Like it feels uncomfortably numb or something. So it felt like that for yeah. a while. Um and then it just kind of got to the point where it felt stiff. Like my legs almost felt like they were having a rod kind of the whole way through them just go bzz, bzz, like all the way up them as I was hitting the ground. And the best way that I can describe how that felt is it like I said last week, if you've been on a trampoline and you bounce up and down but you're not bending your knees when you land it, it kind of got to a point where it felt like that and I, and I had to walk it in. It's the only time I've ever stopped a run and had to walk it in because I just felt honestly quite defeated by it. And I know that mm. even though I'm not in like prime fitness and stuff like that, had I been wearing my normal shoes, had I been wearing a different pair of shoes that maybe even had squishier foam, I just don't think that would have happened. Genuinely, I don't think it would have done. That's a really interesting observation. Um, and it does tie in with quite a lot of stuff that I've, felt myself and heard from other people and i do definitely want to come back to that but the other question that i want to ask you and get your thoughts on is how did you feel the first time you wore regular shoes after wearing a pair of super shoes well interesting first run in normal shoes (laughs) well interestingly again we we did talk about this a little bit on last week's pod um, but i will expand on it um in in my experiences as so so something that was quite interesting is that the first time I put on a pair of normal shoes after I did my first my first ever run, which was like I say, it's not in the carbon fiber ones, just in the bouncy ones, I felt relatively normal because the type of run that I had done was it was spaced out by a day or two, and it um it was spaced out by a day or two, and it was a different type of run. So when I'd gone out and the first time I'd gone out and really lashed round a 5k and really you know, put myself through it. So you sort of expect to be out of breath and hurting and all these things. And then mm. the next run I went out for was just normal shoes. It was like a five miler or a six miler or something. So a little bit longer and much more relaxed. So to me, it just felt quite normal. But the most interesting difference that I had was something that we touched on, like I said last week, was that I had done my fast run in my vapor flies and then i then put my normal shoes back on and used the word i think last week was uncoordinated or like slabs of ham on your feet is it just felt slabs of ham on your feet it felt like my feet were slabs of ham and it felt horrible that was my experience for the first probably four miles of a 13 14 miler i can't remember how far last weekend so i I guess another good way i could describe it is you know the first time you ever ran on a treadmill and you came off it 
or this might even still happen to some people in the gym or wherever you, 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 you're on a treadmill. Trust me, finish. however much you run on a treadmill, that never goes away. <laughs> yeah. I you... know what you're about to say here. That like the world spinning, it feels like you've had a whole bottle of vodka whilst you're on there. Yeah. Or, or kind of the best way I can describe it is you, as you walk off the treadmill and you can almost feel like, you know, the sensation of when you're sat on a train and the other train next to you starts moving and you're still, but you're yep. convinced you're moving you kind of have I'm gonna that, I'm gonna describe it in one word for you. Go I on. think I've just come up with the super gravity. Super gravity. <laughs> yeah, super gravity. There you go. That that is kind of how it, it feels felt. like you're experiencing super gravity when you take those off and you go into another pair of shoes. Yeah, and I mean, there's a good, there's a good reason for that, and that transitions back quite nicely into what I was saying. There's a reason why your legs felt the way they did at the end of your run, and this is probably the biggest con that i can think of when it comes to potential injury risk from wearing these shoes you know like often um for sessions and things like that i'm i think i'm gonna i'm gonna put a full stop now on people that wear these shoes for every single run because i think that group of people is just so low it's not really worth talking about and if anyone's listening who's wearing them for every single run and is wondering whether they should or shouldn't don't it's as simple as that just don't um but the potential injury risk for wearing them for every single session and not kind of switching between traditional flats spikes if you're running on the track um or maybe just staying in your regular easy run shoes if you've got a session that's not really very dependent on pace and you just need to get it done is physiologically what they essentially do is they will shut off some muscle groups and then overload others and in my experience and from what I've heard from talking to people, things like that, is that your feet very much shut off. So all of the kind of little stabilizing muscles and your feet, ankles, that sort of thing, they pretty much take, they have the load taken from them by the shoes. But then that load has to go somewhere because that's just physics. And they essentially shoot that into your, and they overload your Achilles and your soleus. So they really switch them on. And I think it's no surprise that we've seen quite a lot. I've seen quite a lot of people that I know have suffered from calf and Achilles problems more frequently lately, and also plantar fasciitis problems. Because once it then gets shut off and you transition back then into normal shoes, it's suddenly, it's that feeling of slabs of ham on your feet. It's suddenly your plant is going, oh, hey, what, where's this load come from? I thought we were done with this. I thought running didn't hurt this anymore. I thought running didn't work this. And the same thing happens with your glutes and your hips and piriformis. So your glutes are underloaded and your hips and your piriformis are overloaded. So I think we'll probably see if anyone's got any kind of mechanical inefficiencies, if they're slightly biased towards one side, you know, if they're kind of uneven in the way they run, you could potentially see quite a lot of hip problems coming out of the woodwork in the next couple of years. And this is all just going off of, things that I've experienced myself from the way I've felt from conversations with other people, conversations with my coach, things like that. Uh, but the biggest thing about this is it's just so unknown, the injury risks between training in these and not training in them. And I think, you know, if you, if you're falling slap bang in the middle, let's say of our um, spectrum that we talked about earlier, of training in them never and only racing in them or training in them all the time and racing in them. This probably has the biggest effect 
their effect size there in terms of initial risk, but then also potentially the biggest effect size of actually once your body gets used to it, it might not become an issue anymore. Similar to perhaps say someone who's never run in spikes on the track before starting to have, you know, they're running their first track season. So they're starting to run in spikes. Um, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that. I've kind of rambled a little bit there. No, I, what the, the the phrase that came to my mind actually, as you were sort of explaining it, is the you know the straw that broke the camel's back or death death by a thousand cuts. Is it going to be one of these things where maybe you're less likely to injure yourself just from like rolling your ankle or stepping on something funny or just from that immediate like ache that you get from a run? Because obviously you finish a run and if you've really gone for it, you're perfectly entitled to feel achy and broken the next day, and maybe when you put these shoes on and you do your sessions or races in and whatever it is, you'll feel less achy immediately. But over the long term, is there a possibility that actually something's beginning to change, like you say, physiologically, and that may be... Well, actually... To... Yeah, as in... Yeah, do you know what? you? Sorry, go, go, go. Yeah, keep going. You, you may end up finding that over development over time because let's be honest every single person that you've ever spoke to that doesn't know anything about running goes, oh, it's bad for your knees. Is it going to be a case of it's it's no longer going to be the cliche of it's oh it's bad for your knees it's bad for your weird you know your weird stabilization muscle in the in the bottom left hand side of your foot you know it's just is it is it is the narrative that maybe is the narrative of running injuries is that, is that going now going to change yeah is everyone going to say oh you shouldn't go running it's bad for your Achilles and to be honest yes it is I don't know I don't think I can think of a single elite runner that's not had an Achilles issue at some point in their career. Um, track runners especially because the way that spikes are on the track are quite similar actually to the way that these shoes are is they do push you on your toes they make you run on your forefoot a lot more than you might do in a regular pair of shoes um but that, that's an interesting point there um yeah no <laughs> i forgot what i was going to say i had a point to say but I've, it's completely gone from my mind so okay i had a moment like that last week everybody gets one <laughs> well, no exactly but i think one of the big we talked about the potential injury risks that you could have for, you know offloading overloading different muscle groups that maybe perhaps aren't used to the extent of the load that you put on them but i think a big one that we can't skip over is a big pro of wearing these in training and that's just there's just so much less impact yeah. like there's there's a reduced injury risk because there's a reduced impact when you hit the floor your foot you still hit the floor with the same force the same force still goes from you into the floor but your foot doesn't absorb that force in the same way and there has to be benefit to that doesn't there there literally there there has to be benefit with hitting something with less absolutely force. I think something like, I think, for example, stress fractures, I think we'll see a decline in. This is just pure hearsay on my part, but I do think that we'll see a decline in stress fractures of the lower leg. Potentially, it could, like I say, because it shifts, it shifts the, the balance elsewhere. Maybe we'll see a lot of lower back stress fractures or hip or who even knows, any, anywhere else. But I think it will potentially move those issues up. But I think stress fractures of, the the tibia you know the the foot the um forget what the bone is that just about every elite runner seems to break at some point in their career um 
it'll come to me. I'll just blurt it out later. <laughs> but yeah, no, <laughs> I think you're right. The point that I did just remember what I was going to say earlier. So basically, you might because of this reduced impact, because other muscle groups kind of getting offloaded, like you said, there might be an issue brewing that you just don't realize until it's too late. And this is something that there's a, you can do any amount of tests you want in a lab, but there's a big difference between the type of people that test shoes like that in a lab versus people that run in them all the time. A point that I think will be really interesting is is how many people in general probably run more miles in a pair of shoes than they should. And then also the longevity mm. of these types of shoes, because certainly a discussion point around the Nike ones as they were first becoming accessible to the general public was people noticeably said and they said this on our on our shoe ramp podcast as well that we did when we went down to the jaffa club is everyone said these don't last long and if you've fought a lot of money to for these shoes is there going to be that stubbornness of oh well they'll be a little bit you know they'll be fine for a little bit longer i'll keep running in them is is there will people be blindsided by the cost of them and end up running in them in a different way if you see what i mean or because there's so much fun, yeah will it be like having chunky tires on your on your car people just assume that because they're chunky they won't wear down as quickly and as a result you won't have to replace them as often will it go <laughs> you know? who knows yeah well if and you make that point if anything i think it's quite the opposite of that i think you have to replace these shoes more often so let's let's just dive straight into what we've got here we've said the more miles you put on these shoes, the less performance you get out of them. And when do you want the most performance? You want the most performance on race day. And, you know, if you're training in them, you're putting more miles on them. The financial implications, I think we can kind of start and end that here because we've discussed it before. The shoes are expensive. Damn. And that financial implication, the more you train in the shoes, the more new pairs of shoes you're going to have to buy. If you only race in them, like if these shoes are, if they're a huge stretch for you financially, then yeah only racing them because the more miles you put on them the worse they're going to perform after a certain point between miles zero and probably a hundred there's probably no difference but yeah i mean this it's foam foam is foam is foam so the foam more is, you run foam them, is the softer than the ground <laughs> yeah exactly and foam is also softer than your foot and you should be saying thank god foam is softer than my foot because otherwise my feet would be a mess we'd all have very but broken the more ankles, you run yeah. in them the more it's going to compact it's going to pack down pack down pack down that's why do you have like a really old pair of trainers or old pair of slippers or something where you can literally see your footprint in them yeah of course everyone's got that i've got a pair of slippers like that where it's like they're basically pointless now the only thing they do is stop my feet from getting dirty they're not even comfortable anymore <laughs> but the same thing will happen with these shoes except now it's affecting your race times so let's say you are just consistently you're always a 15 minute 5k guy always you buy a brand new pair of adios pros you slip them on for the podium 5k you're feeling great and you run 14:45. you could be in that same shape and then you go away and you train in those shoes but you don't for whatever reason you don't get any better you're just like you know what i'm happy being in 15 minute shape i'll take the benefit that the shoes gave me on the day go along and then six months later after training with these you've put 150 200 miles on them in training you've been training great exactly where you want to be 
go out to podium 5k again and you run 14.53 and you're like hang on where did those eight seconds go well those eight seconds went in the miles that you put in those shoes because they're not as bouncy as they were when you bought them yeah that's that uh, kind of does that make sense yeah definitely that has to be real and i think the point that we'll sort of inevitably go for is is a, is a few things is is obviously yeah you want i guess i guess as you've written in your notes here is you don't want any surprises on race day and you do want to be able to save that maximum bounciness for them but however the count the counter to that is is though you're racing them so you need to have a degree of training in them and i think this sort of spectrum that we, we keep relying on like you've said it lies somewhere in the middle is it's probably finding the appropriate uh, the appropriate amount and the appropriate type of runs to do in them now exactly well i think i think this <laughs> the spectrum is a very good but i think if you're slap bang in the middle that's probably going to be the the least common points are going to be slap bang in the middle and slap bang either to the left or to the right um me for example i've done a couple of sessions in them and i think that's all i need i like saving my best shoes for my race day i don't like to sacrifice that race day boost now i know what's coming i've trained in the shoes i know how i'm going to feel when it comes into a race i kind of want to park it up and not really run in them too much so that i get to that race day and suddenly it's pop so if you're saying wearing them only for races is the left i'd be highly left of middle if that makes sense yeah yeah, that's that's it. And and the thing is, is is there's going to be a certain amount of tailoring because I think what I would do, and certainly I still have my two pairs of my in, in my case they're solar glides. I have two pairs, one which is slightly older and they've got a lot of miles in them, one which is not so old and don't have so many miles in them. And I still split the majority of my running between them. However, if I think I'm going out for a faster run and I maybe think I want a little bit of a boost, I won't put the racing versions of the shoes on but the two training versions as i see them i might consider i might consider putting on because i really want to crank it so it's it's about finding yeah exactly and and what i'm what i'm saying here is like i'm not going to go out and i'm not going to train in solar glides just so happens to be my everyday training shoe as well and i'm not going to go out and try and do my hard track sessions in solar glides i can't imagine trying to run i don't know like a 60 second 400 in a pair of those for repeat fours i'll still train in flats i'll still train in kind of my spikes if i'm on the track wanting a real specific session and actually what i'm tra- what i'm kind of doing is taking a similar approach to what i do when i'm training for track competition because now you're not allowed to wear these shoes on the track um which i think is a brilliant decision um others will disagree but i'll try and train in just regular flats so adios adios Adizero Adios 5 are the trainers that I wear for most of my other sessions if I'm not wearing Spikes or Adios Pro. I'll try and train in them as much as possible and unless I'm going either of a certain speed or the session has a certain specificity that lends itself towards it, I won't wear Spikes other than race day. Yeah, and I guess another part of this that I you I can see you've made a, a, a note on them and it's worth discussing because it seems to be another continuous point is is you want that psychological boost as well. You, you said this exactly like this at the end of last week's pod is that you want to feel like you're lining up and that you're equal among the equal among the premier players as, as you put it, and and that's that's going to yeah. be a real thing. Is is 
maybe maybe the demons of doubt might creep in if you were curious if you'd heard somebody else go oh wow yes this is the first time i've worn these for a race i've never trained in them or i've only run 10 miles in them and you're going there like god i've, I've run loads of miles in mine have i have i done this wrong that's that's an interesting yeah exactly well point. you'd be thinking oh like maybe i'm maybe i'm too used to them maybe i'm not getting the effects but i think what you said there leads really nicely into another point that i want to make is that when you train in them, you can run faster times in training. You just can because they're faster shoes. Could that then allow you to train at such a high, such a level higher than that you had been that it just naturally leads to much faster racing times anyway? Because if you train faster, the assumption would be you'd race faster. What do you reckon? True. It's an interesting point. And from my own experience, I wore my airbag shoes as i'll affectionately call them when i did that random that random half marathon that i did when i'd I'd literally only been running for like two weeks beforehand and went out and belted what i think would have been the equivalent of like an 84 85 minute half marathon and and that felt great and you know what i actually came away from that thinking like wow like if i'd have put vapor flies or alpha flies or you know adios pro or fuse you know whatever the top version of that shoe had been what what would have happened in that case you know and that, that's what i thought to myself yeah. and then and then funnily enough I've... well that's that was the run that made me price the uh the hat so highly for you so <laughs> I, I don't know if we've mentioned this on the pod before but i got a uh a hat that sam has taken quite a shining to in one of my more recent kit drops and uh basically if he runs sub 80 for the marathon for the half marathon it's his but he has to do that until he gets to even look at it in the flesh <laughs> that's funny i must admit the only reason i should stipulate the only reason that i once said hat is because normally i like to run fairly minimally is uh, is that my hair during lockdown has got extremely long and i have very very fluffy hair if you don't know me in person and it is particularly annoying if you're running along you get sweaty and it whacks you in the face so i have to clip a hat on yeah, I have to clip a hat on just to make sure it doesn't do it. And uh, I have one perfectly good hat. I, I had one perfectly good hat, and I can still wear it. But the only problem is it's um is the clips on the back. It's got like pop studs on the back, and they're all starting to break off. So when I saw Kira got a freebie hat, knowing that he would never ever wear it, I thought I'd ask him to uh, to pinch it. That's not true at all. Adidas, if you're listening, I've worn it at least twice since getting it once trying it on and once for a for a bike ride so i look more <laughs> like a coach <laughs> oh dear <laughs> maybe i'll oh and to the shop i wore it to the shops uh, for reasons i honestly can't remember well there we go so there is proof of it but yeah there is there is definitely that side of it and, and thinking about when i've done because i haven't done that whole route again i must do it though because it was a fun route to run but i have done sort of segmented versions of that route and i've been able to run quick long times i've been able to run several 12 milers with i don't know average sort of 650 640 times not because i was trying to run those times just just general fitness was feeling good and those were in you know quote unquote normal shoes so and and i did feel that psychological boost i felt actually do you know what i could probably give this a really close effort even without bouncy shoes which probably means that I, if I'd have then just clipped them on, then yeah, I could have probably saved saved even even more time. So there is definitely that psychological boost to them, and it is fun. Like it's you know it's fun. You know what it's like if you know that your car is faster than the one next to you at the lights. You love going like yeah, watch this, and and it's whenever you, it's like when you get new clothes or new toys or new computer or whatever the hell it is. You instinctively kind of want to show them off a little bit and go out there and be like, look at this and use it in the real world. So there is. 
there is certainly that element to it. I don't think that's I don't think that's deniable. That actually, do you know what? That's something that's something I hadn't thought of. Potentially, these could not cause you. I thought that they may have a reduced training effect, and we can go into that in a little bit. I because you know you're running, you may be running the same splits as you were before, or marginally quicker, but the effort, relative effort, was lower. But actually, it's a very good point. Psychologically, you might think, right, I'm wearing my super shoes. I am running fast today, no matter what. And you do, you know, you train harder than normal. I think the three times that I've run the hardest in the last probably almost year have been the three times that I wore them in the two sessions and one race that I did. So that is quite, in, that is a very interesting point. And it does ring fairly true with me as well from through personal experience. So yeah, that is an interesting one, but and I'll go on. Well, what I was going to say actually is, is funnily enough is since I've been running in them, the, other two version the, the two other types of shoes that i've got like i say the um the non-racing carbon shoes and the non-racing airbag shoes i've actually made conscious effort to go out and run fast and slowly in both pairs just because i think okay. that's I, I for me i just i i actually had this sort of discussion in my mind whilst doing it going out and going can i feel a difference when running in them slowly um and truthfully there wasn't too much of a difference but the one thing that i did think is actually you can the, the faster you run the more feedback you do get um which just makes me think 100%. which just makes me think that whole sort of maybe monetary conversation we had is that it's just beneficial not because you're gonna affect your training negatively or i don't think you're if you're running slowly arguably there's less r- injury risk as it is um but i just i just think that you're just putting unnecessary miles on them so Really, it's probably just about finding the happy go-betweens. If you've got your racing shoes, then, and this is where I don't want to sound like a salesman too much, despite my uh, despite my <laughs> career background. Um, but is this then where you go? Well, actually, it could be proven to have benefits for having your racing shoes, maybe having a non-racing shoe but with some of the same technology in it. So whether that's airbags, whether that's squishy foam, whether that's carbon fiber, whatever it is, but maybe having something that gives you a little bit of it so you can still get some of those benefits. And like you say, you want your body to get used to certain aspects of this and then maybe having your everyday like bulk mileage shoes. And that would kind of be my approach from a, if I had to limit my shoe rotation, maybe that's the way I would do it is I would simply think, right, I want mileage shoes. I want like fast training shoes or fast session suit shoes and then i want a final full fast racing, racing shoe. shoe yeah exactly and if you're not comfortable training in traditional racing flats as we'll call them there is a way of doing that with super shoes as well as you just you have to splurge and you'd have one pair of super shoes for training and another pair for racing so you've got that fresh pair that low mileage pair that you can race in and then another pair that you can beat the absolute hell out of training in them yeah, and I think that's probably the way that most that most people, like I say, and again, we've got to remember that these types of shoes on the whole are going to be bought by people that understand their their role, their lineup, their kind of purpose. And I think that's probably... For the most part, yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably the way that most people will begin to go with them is that they'll they'll understand really where they fit in. And also, it's, it's in the interest 
of these companies to, to basically tell you where they want them to use them because obviously you can always bend and break the rules and things like that you know if you really if you want to take a pair i promise you i saw this once i saw a guy well actually i i, I think where you're going with this is it's in the in- interest of the companies to tell you when to use them i'm not so sure about that it's in the interest of the companies to make as much dollar as possible out of these things well, this, so this, saying, is, this, right, is, this is this is our most expensive say. model this is the nike alpha fly you should do as much running in this as possible and you should replace it after 150 oh, I see. miles. <laughs> I see. <laughs> well, my, my point actually was them was maybe the, the counterpoint is saying, well, actually, you shouldn't do that. What you should do, if you want to get good at running in those, but you know they're only for race day, how about this other pair of shoes, which are going to do the job, but they're mm. going to be the perfect go-between, but by the way, they're another 150 quid. Is that, Yeah, is, well, I mean, let's, let's take Nike as an example for that. One thing that they're very good at that normally, but one thing that's really strange is I don't think anyone, no one seems to be able to get just a normal pair of Nike streaks anymore. But I think what they've done is they've said, right, we've got your next percent and your alpha fly for racing. We've got your, um, what are they called? What are, what's the version that you've got? The zoom fly? The zoom fly, yeah. Yeah, you've, we've got your zoom fly for training in. We've got your pegasus slash vomero for kind of everyday mileage and then we've got your react for recovery runs doubles that sort of thing if you if you're getting into kind of the real upper levels of running and you're putting you're tanking in the mileage quite a lot but they've kind of got a similar model to what you described kind of already in place and lots of other shoe companies have that as well i know adidas do as well we've got that I've kind of already gone through them. You've got the Adios Pro for racing. You've got the Adios 5 for training and others as well, Boston, that sort of thing. Your Solar Glide or Solar Boost or Ultra Boost for everyday global mileage. And yeah, it's, uh, it does seem to, that does seem to be the way that I think things are going to go. I don't, I think that more and more people are going to be doing their non-race their hard sessions that aren't races in some kind of footwear that's got you know your squishy foam maybe a plate it's, it's going to be different basically it's not going to be the traditional approach that i think most people would go down where they'd have a, an everyday mileage shoe a training shoe and a racing shoe yeah and as with all things high technology eventually it will all trickle down because it has it has to. It would just be the way. If if it is proven that these shoes are faster, or they maybe in certain cases reducing certain types of injuries or things like that, it's going to get to a point surely where there's going to be elements of this technology that will become cheaper and cheaper and more available. And it could just be that this is the next the next phase of running shoe, and it's just going to maybe over the next five years or so, it's going to change. Who knows? I could definitely yeah, see no. it, definitely see it going that way. No, no, I, I could too. Um, but let's let's get back to kind of what we were saying before with the the training effect of running in these and doing sessions in these. Because one of the big things that I've wondered about, and again, like there's just so little data on this, so like people just we don't know how to maximize these shoes in training leading into races. Is is there a reduced training effect running in these shoes if you're if you don't increase your times, like if you don't run faster, let's say you normally run repeat miles in six minutes. If you put these shoes on, you should be running five fifties, but you know, you put the shoes on, you run five fifty sevens and you think, 
quality. I've improved. I'm training faster than I've ever done before. Is that the same training effect as you might get running 601s in a pair of traditional flats? I don't I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> no, and, and tr- the, and tr- the theory would suggest the theory suggests no. Um or at least the theory that I kind of am familiar with. And what jumps to mind for me is supercompensation theory, which is where essentially you give your body some kind of unfamiliar stimulus, the body goes, Whoa, what the hell? What is that? and kind of blows up for a little bit. And so you have a, a downward shifting. Let's, let's say we're on kind of a graph here, a line graph. You have a downward shifting of the line. And then you give some recovery time. During this recovery time, that line then shifts back up above where you were before because your body overcompensates, supercompensates, and that becomes your new baseline because you've stressed the body, you've rested, then you've adapted. And at that point, you then either maintain and the line kind of stays with a little a smaller dip and smaller kind of sonogram type thing or you go again and you give the body another new stimulus and it goes whoa what the hell you let it recover it goes back up again and that's that's a really simplified version of what it is but the larger point that i'm trying to make is if you're running not as hard or if you're running faster times, but you're physiologically not working as hard because your body doesn't know the difference between 601 and 557 on the clock for a mile. It knows how much effort it took to get there. So if you're wearing these shoes and you're running 557s, but the guy who's in your training group that's running 601s is mechanically work is working harder to get there. Could that potentially mean that he's then going to put his shoes on on race day and beat you? I don't know. <laughs> and you know, a, this is but, this is one but of those then we go we, book, we go back to our other point as well about like reduced recovery times wearing these shoes like you recover quicker off of doing that so Maybe. let's say they do those sessions to, let's say they do that session you've got guy a and guy b or and girl got a and six girl times b a we mile. throw in or girl, yeah you've got person a and person <laughs> b we don't discriminate here <laughs> we don't discriminate here we don't we just like running <laughs> person a and person b person they do a session together they're doing i don't know six times a mile 90 seconds recovery person a does them in 557 in a pair of super shoes person b does them in 601 in a pair of you know just traditional racing flats and historically these guys have just stuck together and they've run six flat for the entire session historically but now they put these shoes on things have shifted a little bit um yeah, could then person A, could they recover quickly? And then let's say they're going, they've done that on Tuesday. They come back on Thursday and they've got, I don't know, let's just say what would complement that. Well, they've got like a ladder session. They've got one minute up to five minutes and then back down to one minute. Person A could be coming into that session thinking, right, I'm feeling good. I've recovered nicely off of my hard session on Tuesday because my super shoes have offloaded me in all the right ways and i'm ready to go on thursday and let's just say they're both wearing the same shoes on thursday they both switch back to regular racing flats person b could be like oh i feel a bit beat up like we did six by a mile on the track like i'm hurting i don't really want to go and do this park session because i don't feel recovered person a is then going to absolutely destroy person b person b isn't going to get as good of a training effect there so it's 
there are so many sides to this coin. There's so much nuance in it and so much unknown kind of territory that we're kind of straying into here that it's it's so hard to come up with a good answer of what you should do. It's so hard to give advice from this. That's why I think I want to just highlight points rather than actually give advice on where someone should place themselves on the spectrum because it's going to be such an individual thing. Definitely, definitely. And I'm really happy that that's actually kind of been the... Yeah, the the way that your mind has gone because it would because I I must admit every time we talk about them, I do get slightly worried sometimes that there's a an overwhelming degree of stubbornness that maybe comes comes from your your <laughs> side and I say your side as an affectionate way of kind of including maybe runners that have been around the block and and maybe these things are still a bit new for for everyone but you know what I mean it, it is a really it is a really good point and I think it's I think it's fun to bring that up because who knows and do you know what. If, if we all knew we'd all run perfectly all the time and we'd know exactly what to buy to make us do better and and ultimately this is half, exactly this is half the fun of competition isn't it is is how you know, oh, how well do they recover and, and how have they done this and what are they wearing all that sort of thing and do you know what if we don't know that then surely that just leads to better racing absolutely and i mean it's not like these are new things within the training environment like i've said this to people before is confession time for everybody who's listening to this coaching half of coaching and guy i know the guys i coach will listen to this and they'll be like oh wait what <laughs> half of coaching is compromising guesswork educated guesswork mind you but it's compromising guesswork like you don't know you know how someone should respond to a certain block of training a certain session a certain structure and a manufacturing of kind of putting things in a certain way I don't think I've ever written anything down on a training program for no reason. But at the same time, like, would I prefer to them to do perhaps more or perhaps something faster, less recovery, more mileage, less mileage in some people's cases, or move a session back a day, forward a day? Often the time, often the answer is yes, but compromise is such a key part of training. So say somebody's got family commitments on one day so they have to do a session let's say a little too close to another session well then you need to adapt that and you need to make one session maybe a little bit shorter or just basically fiddle around with it to make it fit to compromise and i think this is something that you're probably going to have to look into with this whole shoe debacle as well (laughs) like which shoes do you wear when if you have the facilities to do so can you switch shoes during a workout like yeah it's a it's a minefield and i think you need to recalibrate your training play paces i think for training in them versus not training in them to get that training effect like i said like the last thing you want to do is make your life easier in running and that sounds kind of <laughs> stupid but you want to make your life easier in racing? Yeah. Do you know what? No, you don't even want to make your life easier. You don't want it to get easier. You want to get faster. And that's when people are, that's kind of a cliche. Like when people ask elites, like, oh, you look like you were barely trying in that 10K. And the elite will say, it doesn't get easier. You just get faster. Yeah. But that's a good, that's a good, that's true. a good little takeaway that is. I like that a lot. It's, it, it, and it is true. And that's why I kind of want to really make that point with the shoes as well is you don't want to train easier you just want to train faster and the key questions that you need to ask yourself is how much faster 
And if you train based on things like physiological training zones, like heart rate, any uh, VO2 max, if you're training at certain paces for a race, so there are two paces that you can train at if you're trying to aim at race pace. Those are date pace, which is the pace of your current fitness, and goal pace, which is the pace of your target that you're trying to hit. So say you're a 15-minute 5K runner and you want to run 1430 but you're currently in 15 minute shape. Your date pace is 72 seconds per lap, I think 448 per mile. Your goal pace is 70 seconds per lap, 440 per mile. So you need to you need to know which one of those and you kind of need to know your so you need to know those for different training purposes whatever and you kind of also need to know your traditional racing flat pace and your super shoe pace. Yeah. And you can't figure that out until you've experimented with it. And there's just, there's not, I don't think, I don't think there ever really will be. There might be. I'm, I hope I get proved wrong because it will make training a lot easier for a lot of other people. I hope that there will at some point be some kind of reliable metric for that. So there's obviously really reliable, good metrics out there for heart rate training you can generally split heart, split heart rate training into certain zones. And if you plonk yourself in that zone, you're going to get roughly there or thereabouts the right effect, whether it's recovery, aerobic development, tempo, interval, whatever. You're roughly going to get that, that, that effect. But these super shoes have such a range of response from different people. I mean, I've seen some people, everyone will respond positively. Some people will respond as little as 1% or half a percent, and some will respond as much as about 8%. And these are extreme outliers. Generally, I think 4%, 5%, roughly in the middle, most people will respond at about the advertised rate. But those standard deviations in terms of time, like they make up a lot of time. And if you're running your reps that much slower or that much faster in training, you could either flog yourself and lead yourself to injury or undertrain your way into a poor performance. So that's, and you know it's what? a minefield. And yeah, and do you know what? You've actually probably accidentally come up with something quite poetic here is that maybe we are now at the, we as runners that exist now are at an important point in the history of, of times and of training. And because we, because we get to embrace this new technology and share our results instantly through social media and things like that is that we can now try out and develop our own training plans before anybody else can and maybe it will just come out that some people find find ways that actually go on to be to be the ways that people in the future train that is quite a poetic little thing it's like i said last week is that maybe the way to do it is you do your normal session and then you go out and you do some strides in your racing shoes or in your carbon shoes just because you get used to them and you've already done a bank of work, so your body gets that that feeling of, of exercise and being. You tired. kind of have the best of both worlds. Exactly, yeah. but, yeah, but the thing is, I I could be totally wrong, and another method might be. But but the the interesting and exciting point is that we right now get to try that out, and we get to see what affects our our times the most. Yeah, absolutely, and I think the biggest thing is it all depends on how much detail you want to go into in your training. Some people will are on the side of running's running if i do enough of it if i run hard if i run often if i allow myself the appropriate recovery time i'll get better whereas others do want to get really into the nitty-gritty they want details they want 
structure. They want like a real linear plan that's going to take them from this is my point A, I would like to end up at point B. And along the way, I have to hit point A1, A2, A3, A4, blah, 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 all the way up to, all right, finally at point B. I've run my 15-minute 5K on the track, or, well, I guess it's on the road if we're talking about these shoes, because you can't run on the track. Um, actually, I've accidentally transitioned quite nicely into one of the final points that I want to get to, is you need to take into consideration your training location. And you know what? I'm really happy that you've brought this up because, yes, I agree that this should be some of the final points that we click on, but I didn't want to finish the pod without mentioning them. And if I can tell my personal story right now um, is the day that I went out and ran that 12 miler is I put on my bouncy shoes, the airbag shoes, because I thought they would be appropriate for that distance, but also because I knew a lot of it would be on the road. And the day that I yeah. went out and did my double around Alton Water, where I was complaining that my legs felt stiff and my feet felt stiff, I almost thought about putting the airbag shoes on. And the reason I didn't was because I've seen a few stories about people actually puncturing the airbags on, yeah, I've on, seen that on the too. Alpha, alpha flies. flies, especially. Yeah, and, and yeah, because the stone has gone in or something. Yeah, yeah, ex- yeah. exactly. And and my fear is because so I, those airbag shoes at the moment i've run i think about 20 30 miles in them is the last thing that i want i'm sure they'll be fine because the rubber and everything around the airbags is quite solid on those ones but my Mm. absolute biggest fear would be let's say you get halfway around alton water and something goes pop one i've only run 30 miles in them and they are good for say four or five hundred miles maybe and also, if I'm running around Alton Water, it's not like I can just hail the next. How are you going to get? Yeah, hail the next <laughs> exactly. How are you going to get home? And get a lift back if you're stuck right at one side. If you're, you know, it's entirely possible that you could be three and a half, four miles away from your car, and if you've got to awkwardly limp back in broken shoes, or you've got to walk back in bare feet, that's a really long way to go. Which is why I then decided. It is a long way to go. To to wear the. In this instance, it was the reason I decided to wear the carbon fiber shoes because I thought, even though they you know they're a different makeup they're a more resilient thing and there's less risk of them being damaged and they'll still my secretly it was the first time i'd run a a double in one i wanted some assistance i thought i'm either going to wear the airbag shoes or carbon shoes because i want a bit of help going around today and um Mm. and in the end it was interesting turned out to be a huge mistake yeah and it's actually I i have a very good I have a very good Alton Water anecdote, actually, <laughs> which relates quite well to what you were saying. I think I've told you this story before. The first injury I ever got, I broke. It wasn't a stress fracture. I full on broke my third metatarsal in my right foot in 20, I think it was 2014, maybe over summer. Maybe. Yeah, it must have been 24, summer 2014. Full on snapped my metatarsal in my right foot running around Alton Water. And that happened about a mile and a half from the car. And yeah, I had to do exactly what you said there. I had to just awkwardly limp it in uh, from a mile and a half out and then drive myself home and then drive, get driven straight from home to A&E. Yeah. And, um, and I'll tell you where what, for how some long... explicable reason, they put a plaster cast on me instead of a moon boot. I went back literally the next day and got it taken off. <laughs> how funny. But that's... <laughs> But I'll tell you what, how long does a yeah. mile feel when you've got to limp it in? Well, after you've been running along for six or seven miles, how long does a mile feel when you suddenly have to walk it back? That was a long, long mile. Because <laughs> I could, especially when you can't put 
pressure on anywhere on one of your foot, 50% of your body without <laughs> like excruciating pain. Thankfully, I had someone there with me so I could kind of put my arm around the shoulder and just kind of hobble it in. Um, and you had something to yeah, winch was, to on the way back. That was back. a character building experience. Yeah, yeah that was <laughs> fortunate. Unfortunately, uh, runners aren't quite strong enough to give mile long piggybacks. Anyway, we're getting sidetracked here. Um, so the other big training location to consider is if you're on the track, why bother wearing these type of shoes on the track? You can't race in them. On like it just it seems pointless to me. It's it's almost as pointless as these people who were like who were doing time trials during the time trial era. And it always got to me when someone would do a virtual race and they'd go point to point with a thirty mile an hour wind behind them the whole <laughs> way because you're never. You are never going to be able to replicate that in a race. So why are you bothered? Like, yeah, just yeah. it got to me. And I know I, I tried to distance myself as much as possible from virtual racing because that sort of stuff just really irks me. Yeah. Um, but the same thing with the track. When I see someone training in Alpha Flies next percents on the track, I'm thinking, why are you doing this to yourself? Because you're going to get into a race, especially if there's someone who races on the track. You're going to get into a race and you're going to try and run the pace that you've been training at. And you're going to feel like shit. Yeah, no, I um, I think that's I think that's a, f- a fair a fair point to make. And the other thing about running on the track with them is fifty percent of running on the track is running around corners. And as we've said, these are maybe not the grippiest shoes for corners. So again, I think, tra- I think track corners out. you'll be okay. I mean those those corners at podium were were certainly t- a lot tighter than a track bend, and I felt like i didn't really lose a lot going around there i think i might have lost a little bit of speed or lost comfort or control because i'm not quite used to running in the shoes just yet yeah or wasn't at the time um especially at 5k pace but i don't think you'd lose a lot uh especially on a track i mean i think we even said it in our which which video was it that we did it was one of the youtube videos we said we had a scene where i ran around a track and was like yeah it doesn't make a difference essentially yeah no no that's a that's a fair point that is a fair point um the other thing that you've then put on here and and yeah we will sort of make this point and then sort of maybe finish up is another thing is grass i don't think these shoes would be very good on grass just because grass has got it's going to absorb half the squishiness that you're putting into it um and obviously the yeah. lack of grip i think if you're running say for example a park run that is actually in a park i don't think you'd see that much added benefit from them so that's a really interesting point to concede as well um and then yeah for sure well i mean if you if we're talking just to quickly touch on grass because i've got a, a tiny tiny bit of personal experience with this um well i've got a little bit of personal experience with kind of dirt part like dirt trail and gravel as well um the trail around bushy park that i'll do quite a lot of my reps on is relatively hardly packed gravel uh, and trail kind of material and they're pretty much the same on there as they are on the roads there may be a little bouncier on the roads but i mean the the grass thing so for my warm-up for podium 5k did a little bit of a jog out and back on the canal whatever put my flats on went to do a stride and they felt awful on the grass they just felt slippy they didn't feel like they really responded went to do another stride on the path next to the grass and felt a thousand times better so i bet yeah in terms of training on the grass i think maybe from an injury perspective or from you know whatever else if you just prefer training in them because they're more comfortable yeah fine go from it but don't expect much performance benefit yeah that's it and i think that's that's fair isn't it and again to 
to come back to the point that we keep saying is that is your own personal somewhere on the spectrum somewhere on the slider somewhere in between isn't it is it's just tailoring them to how you feel most efficient yeah oh no 100 percent. and that's i mean it's kind of i mean we can draw to a close with this statement is basically it's all just up to whatever you are most comfortable in it's such an individual thing we've said it a lot of times and we're just going to stress it again and again and again it's a totally individual thing and you need to find out through trial and error where on that spectrum you fall. And I think somewhere in the middle is the best place to fall. I think there are extreme outliers, like I say, that will fall at either end, but somewhere in the middle, if you like training in them, then yeah, fine. Be to the right of the middle. If you don't, if you prefer to train in a traditional racing flat, fall to the left of the middle. I don't want to make this, too much of a political yeah, analogy literally. <laughs> not what i'm going for no it is right yeah no it's gonna be calling the communist at some point <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no i think i think we've done a, a really good job i've actually really enjoyed recording this because there are so many it isn't just a for and against i think we've done a really good job of kind of ping-ponging it across you know with posit- positive if we do say so ourselves yeah definitely so um so yeah, I think that's a that's a really good way to do it. And and ultimately, like I said, I think it comes down to it being quite exciting for each individual person finding out their journey and finding out how it feels to run in these shoes as they become more and more accessible. Surely is going to do wonders for making the sport exciting, make people excited to get involved because they're going to go out and want to run in that. So yeah, it's an exciting time for people to begin to understand what these shoes can offer. And yeah, hopefully it. it it gives people a benefit more often than not. And we can begin to see more PBs and records and all the things that make the sport exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's a fun conversation to have as well. Like I like talking to other people about this because I, like we've said, there's so little data. So, I mean, if anyone's listening and they've had any experiences that they want to share or thoughts or whatever, like just, yeah, let's have the conversation. Yeah. Get in touch, leave us a comment or dm or whatever you want to do like yeah i'm always interested to talk about shoes i i think you'd find you'd seldom find a moment where i didn't want to go off on one about some shoes so yeah right thanks everyone for listening uh if you've made it this far yes thank you i've like i said i've really enjoyed this pod and it's good to be back regularly we are hopefully now that we've done this a couple of times on the bounce we're going to get properly back into it so yeah we will uh, be with you again soon 100%. Thanks for tuning in. Cheers, everyone.